The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome Welcome. Welcome. to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. And today I have Stephen Hunt Griffith, who's joining me. He is the Executive Vice President of RepTrack. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, Seema. Great to be on the show. Thank you for asking me. Thank you. Stephen, I don't know if we've ever clarified. I know you're in Boston, but you have an accent. And where is that from? Cut a long story short, I was born and raised in the UK. Okay. Moved to the US at the end of the 90s, and I've been here now more than 20 years. So I guess I have a bit of a mid-Atlantic twang, a little bit of British, a little bit of American. Very nice. That's kind of cool that you can hold on to it, too, for being here for so many years. Can't shake it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a lot of interesting things to talk about before we dive into, you know, the main topic of reputation measurement. I just wanted to get a little sense of your background and how you got to this point in your journey. Yeah, sure thing. So cutting a long story short, I was at that pivotal moment where I was about to go to medical school. I trained for many years in science and was really geared towards uh, becoming a doctor. Then I think for various personal reasons, I made what you consider as being a sharp left turn and moved <laughs> the realm of branding and reputation. The irony is those two practices are very similar. In medicine, you're basically diagnosing the needs of patients and providing prescriptions. In the case of branding and reputation-related services, you're kind of doing the same thing, but you're doing it for companies. So the irony is that art and science that drove my interest in medicine has become very relevant to my career in, uh, broadly speaking, brand marketing and and reputation-related activities. And I guess I spent my formative years in the agency world working as a practitioner of brand and advertising and marketing communications with a real focus on being a purveyor of insight, basically a planner type person who was the architect for the springboard of great creative ideation. I've applied many of those skills since I joined the RepTrack company eight years ago, where I now focus on the premise of reputation, what it is, what drives it, and more importantly, how it can help elevate a company's success trajectory. So the irony is my background is very relevant to what I do today. An amazing journey, and yes, a very sharp left turn. Because I know prepping and trying to get to medical school is a lot of hard work, and, and then and shifting, I'm sure, was not an easy decision. Yeah, but you know, you follow your passion, and you know, yeah. for anyone listening, what do you end up doing in life? You do the things you love, mm-hmm. uh, and the things you love allow you to be more successful. And you know, maybe sometimes you fall in love with something for the wrong reasons, and then for me, that was certainly true in medicine. And yeah. My true calling is the ability to work with companies and help them to be more successful. And that's my passion every day. So true. I think many of us assume, you know, from a young age where what the right career is and then listening to your intuition as you continue to develop and grow and allowing yourself that space is so critically important because we spend so much time working. We might as well love what we do, at least on most days. Absolutely true. And What's amazing in today's world is thinking about the topic of reputation, how much innovation has been in this space in a relatively short time. 
our founders at the Retroact Company wrote the similar book and reputation back in the late 90s. So it's really as a concept only around 25 years old, not as a discipline necessarily, but in your ability to measure it and harness it and capture it as a tangible life force. It's still a relatively nascent industry, whereas conversations around brand have been around for more than 100 years and sales and marketing have existed in many forms over the years. But reputation is a new and forging concept. And what I find especially exciting is there's so much more unexplored areas for further discovery as we push forward on the new boundaries of what reputation can mean into the future. So before we dive deep into reputation, let's just start with the basics of what is the definition of reputation? How do you define it in your well, well, as a company, yes, and, and on a personal level? Yeah, for sure. I mean, first off, your reputation is how people perceive you. Right. And for better or for worse, that's informed by everything they know to be true. In, in many ways, Reputation exists in the eye of the beholder. Everything you do and say contributes to how I perceive you and therefore, by consequence, impacts my reputation. But what's interesting about reputation is it ultimately drives behavior. If you really drill down and understand the companies you love and the brands you buy, reputation is at the heart of what ultimately stimulates you to make a decision in favor of one company versus the other. And that decision isn't always a buying decision. Sometimes it's a decision of picking which company you choose to work for. Mm -hmm or company you choose to invest in, or even just support, you know, top of mind, you positively advocate for. But what's interesting is when you put reputation in the context for brand, you see a very distinct line of difference. And let me kind of try and paraphrase it for you. Think of your brand as the promise you intend to keep. It's what you express through the assets of all your marketing, the experiences, your website, the user experience, what you read in the newspapers, what you spend on advertising, the voice of your CEO, your corporate headquarters, All these things are an expression of your brand. Mm -hmm. By contrast, your reputation is an assessment of whether that promise you made was fulfilled. Did you live up to the expectations of what you told me you would do and say? Do you meet my expectations or what I consider as being important? And a disconnect happens when you have a very powerful brand story, but you fall short of expectations. That constitutes a decline in reputation. Irony is sometimes the other way around happens where you have not such a great brand story, but because of other actions that you take, maybe in your support of the communities, maybe you commit to sustainability, things that have nothing to do with marketing or advertising per se, sometimes you see your reputation rise. So that's really an interesting paradigm. Your brand is a promise you intend to keep. Your reputation is your assessment as a stakeholder as to whether that promise was fulfilled. I like how you said that. It's simple and it's easy to digest. I also think Reputation to me feels like it's more intrinsic in the company. It's the DNA of a company and how it expresses itself. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Well, it is intrinsic in the sense that it's your internalization of an external stimulus. Okay. So, yes, your brand expression can impact your reputation, but so can your commitment to ESG initiatives. In today's world, sustainability efforts are really, really important. Also importantly, as is your media sentiment. So how you're portrayed and talked about and discussed in not just the traditional news media, but social media. Mm -hmm. So all these things you soak up as a sponge, like a a stakeholder. And in that regard, your reputation exists in the eye of the beholder because I've now taken all the stimulus that I've been exposed to. I reach my own conclusion. Mm -hmm. Whatever that clue and conclusion is, that becomes my reality. So you often have the euphemism, your perception is your own reality. It's true when it comes to 
perception and it comes to reputation. So therefore, those feelings you hold deep inside, what you think and what you feel, represent your characterization of every given company. And of course, if you do the right things in the mind's eye of your consumers, of your other stakeholders, you will earn the right to a strong reputation. And therefore, when that moment of truth comes, I will choose to support you or not, as the case may be. Fair enough. Let me ask, you mentioned that reputation really kind of came into the foray, and correct me if I did not hear this properly, about 20 years ago. Is that correct? As a measurable concept. Yes. But, But I think it's also fair to say the first written evidence of what we call reputation actually existed back in ancient China. It sounds kind of crazy to say that, but go back 4,000 years. The premise of reputation in ancient China was based on the concept of what we call face. Right. Face is how you are held in regard within the society in which you belong to, based on your actions, based on the nobility of your family, based on how you attire yourself, how you speak yourself. And it was a critical glue as part of the cultural fabric of how China developed as a country. Even today, I heard through the grapevine, and I haven't fact-checked this, but I'm going to take it to be true because uh, I trust the person who told me this, who said, in today's modern Chinese language, simplified Chinese, whether it's uh, Mandarin or Cantonese or equivalents, there's actually several ways of expressing the word reputation related to this whole concept of face. And it's a very complex uh, a series of circumstances that causes people to understand what it means in, in that particular culture. But the point being is, once you had lost reputation in ancient China, you were completely ostracized from the village. Yeah. It, your life was game over. And whether you fell from the heady heights of being nobility to perhaps someone who was uh, arguably considered a peasant back then, didn't matter. Once you lost your reputation, you were done. There was nowhere for you to go. Yeah. And people were penalized for misdemeanors for wrongdoings and the irony is fast forward to today that's exactly how companies are viewed we hold them in very high regard and the companies that let us down we ostracize we reject we decide not to hang out with them to work with them to do business with them to support them to buy from them and all the things we talked about earlier so but the point that i want to make around the last 20 to 25 years is up until the late 90s it was an intangible immeasurable concept because there was no framework or construct by which you capture reputation. And so the similar work that we did as, uh, as RepTrack, and a lot of this was driven by our founding partners who were both academics, basically broke reputation down into three very simple parts. One was the how you feel part. And just like the way the human brain works, you hear a stimulus of a company name, you conjure up an emotion, and you reach a conclusion about that company's uh, credentials. And you do that emotionally based on what you feel. Then there's a latent reaction that triggers in your brain that allows you to now cognitively deconstruct, why did I reach that conclusion? Right. You identified seven drivers that in principle define the reputation of any given company. And so I now have a rational foundation for my emotional belief. And then thirdly, the trigger then becomes, bringing those two things together, a intended behavior. So it becomes a visceral outcome in terms of how I feel and how I think ultimately drives how I behave Right. And that constitutes the real value of reputation, because in many ways, your reputation is the means to the end of whatever your desired business outcome is. And if I align with you, I'll support you. If right. I don't, if there's a disconnect, I'll go somewhere else. How do you factor in price points and, you know, like the actual activities that create behavior for consumer that might create a behavior that's different in 
purchasing something from a brand that's reputation is not in sync with that person. Yeah, for sure. Of course, we all have the temptation to buy things on sale for a discount, right. for value for money. And critically, that's a component of reputation. So of the seven drivers, products and services, including perceptions around consistency, value for money, good quality, are baked into the reputation model. So it's not an esoteric concept, but beyond those core elements that tie back to product, there are also measures around innovation, around workplace, around citizenship, around conduct, around leadership, and around financial performance. So your view of reputation is a complicated series of cognitive check boxes in your brain. And when all those things are positive, you have the basis for a strong reputation. But if some of those things are amiss, and, and we can actually rank all of those in terms of relative importance, and we typically right. find for most companies, your products and services is, is typically the single most important driver of reputation. Mm -hmm. And usually it's about 20% of the weight of derived importance. So it's right. disproportionately important. But if I looked at, for example, conduct and citizenship, which are often the second and third most important, together, those things alone are bigger than products and services in terms of being a driver of reputation. So it would say, first and foremost, companies need to behave ethically. They need to celebrate integrity and equality. They need to exhibit good ethics. They need to be a good corporate citizen, both in terms of social environmental responsibility. If they do all those things, contact and citizenship together trump price. Interesting. And of products and services. So one of the biggest things that mis people misconstrue is the reputation of the company that stands behind the products and services you buy actually means more on many occasions than the actual individual brands that you purchase. So that suggests a corporate brand is a real trigger point for making decisions. And whether you're a company like P&G that has a portfolio of products, right. to Pampers, to Old Spice, to Olive Oule, to Tide, you now go out of your way to buy products and services because you're loyal, not to the individual product, but to the corporate brand that stands behind the company. But I guess I want to go back to the question I asked you. Um, so the measurement of reputation was about 20, 25 years ago. Did something shift in the market, in our society, that the opportunity to measure, the need to measure that occurred? Or was it, what was the impetus around that? Well, two things. So up until that point, and I know because I went through the era of change, I was in the middle of it working for agencies at the time. Everybody was so fixated on brand mm. and paid for communications finally became measurable and accountable with the advent of digital disruption. Okay. So we can now calculate an ROI for brand marketing campaigns, which campaigns were most successful, could be quantified, and therefore, you know, companies and agencies and marketing people were rewarded for that success. <laughs> But there was no measure for PR-related activities, corporate communications. In many ways, it was like the poor cousin to pay for media communications. You know, right before you retired from a major company, you got the cushy job in PR where you could hang around on golf courses and shake the hands of the people yeah. in the media, right? right? And then suddenly, with the digital disruption, the importance of earned media impressions became critically more important. One, mm -hmm. because you can now start to measure them, and whether that's through the lens of traditional news media channels, through blogging, through subject matter experts, through social media, through other channels, where you now give a voice to billions of people, you now have this new powerful asset of communication. And so out of that was born the desire to measure it. But secondly, I say equally, 
just the level of sophistication of marketing and data science also emerged. And so as our founders were developing the RecTrack model, the great irony for it was a lot of the inspiration came from physics. Oh, that's and so interesting. The whole premise of the um, Newton's first law of motion and the principles of inertia. Okay. Inertia exists when things are status quo. Right. When there's an external, invisible, life-changing force, we create new momentum. Hence, was born the concept of reputation. And it took a physicist to bring this brilliant series of events together and connect the dots to help people understand and appreciate reputation can either be an inhibitor or an accelerator to your business. When you apply the laws of physics to that, you now have the basis for a measurable outcome and hence was born the practice of reputation measurement. Fascinating. I love that analogy. Well, it's not an analogy, but I love how the science is, becomes integrated in how we think about reputation. So let's talk about clients or companies or brands that invest in understanding their reputation. Yeah. Who cares about this typically the most within an organization? Well, it's interesting because every company... Mm-hmm. whether they do something about it or not, cares about their reputation because they understand it's a trigger point for accelerated success. Okay. you got two companies side by side on a grocery shelf and you typically default to the company that overall has the best reputation with price and other things taken into consideration. Yep. So companies, big and small, have all worried about this, but I think disproportionately, the Fortune 2000 companies are more fixated on reputation because the consequences and the stakes for them are higher. Yeah. If you believe that your reputation is the ultimate consequence of everything you do and say, you now become fixated on your ability to manage it. And you manage it with a mind's eye to whatever it is you want to accomplish as a company. So let's break down any given company and I'll just use Microsoft as a form of example. Okay. Microsoft has been up and down in terms of its reputation over almost two decades. And when it's strong, it sells more products and services, is viewed as being more strongly aligned with acts of good citizenship, mm-hmm. of, of being a company that uh, adheres to equal opportunity employment uh, in its organization, that celebrates diversity, and by default does especially well on the stock market and attracting the best talent. Right. So within that realm of decision-making, there's different people who care about reputation. Mm-hmm. So at Microsoft, the head of marketing would care about reputation because that's how we sell more operating systems and more products and services, et cetera. Equally, the head of corporate communications will care about reputation because it's a reflection of how they told their corporate story and the way that they're portrayed in the news media and in terms of social. The CFO would care about reputation. Why? Because they understand it's a measure of risk. Mm -hmm. The multiple for the company is impacted by perceived reputational issues. And I think it would be an exaggeration to link reputation to our ability to predict share price value. I don't think anybody can do that. But what we do know is enterprise value holistically can be enhanced when your reputation is strong. And I can keep going down. Street Chief Strategy Officer and other people care about reputation because it gives them a basis for measuring how well their company is doing. But importantly, not just compared to themselves, but relative to the companies they care about and compete against. So how do we stack up versus Google? How do we stack up versus Apple? How are we doing uh, versus some of the up-and-coming technology companies like uh, Lenovo or Huawei out of China or equivalents? So it gives you an interesting relative and normative perspective of how your company is doing 
And so therefore, you're just better armed in your ability to make big strategic business decisions, agnostic of what role and responsibility you have within a company. Yeah, and I think what's telling to me is that this is something that basically starts to stop. All the people that you mentioned who care about reputation, it, obviously the entire organization does, but the leadership team, CEO down, are worried, not worried, are looking at their reputation scores to understand the impact potentially it might have in their different business functions. Absolutely. So that's the sort of inward out view of reputation, a company managing its own reputation hopefully to the great endeavor of elevated success in the marketplace. But we don't go around fixating around the reputation of companies, but as end user consumers, as business to business customers, as potential employees of the future, as possible investors, we take that into consideration. Right. Personally, I check my 401k and I look at the companies that uh, I've invested in and I want to be sure that there are companies that are considered as being responsible. I don't want to be associated with companies that for whatever reason have had inappropriate decisions around how they support the environment or how they support social justice issues or equivalents. And if I were looking for a job today, which I'm not, but if I were, I would be asking questions around, what are you doing to make the world a better place to live? Do you support uh, gender equality? Is there diversity in your company? Do you operate fairly and give employees a chance to be successful, agnostic of their nature of their background or their color of the skin. So all those questions are important to all of us. We don't always express those questions, but subliminally yeah. at the back of our heads, you betcha, we're taking all those things into consideration in decisions we make every day in many different guises. So true. And I think a lot of times we are perceptive in some of those topics when you talk to somebody from an organization or when you interact with, let's say, with a customer service person, those perceptions are maybe you don't articulate them, but you definitely keep them in the back of your mind and they play into the future perception of that. Absolutely. In those moments that matter, mm -hmm. make big and important decisions, reputation is top of mind. But even in those other decisions that are less considered, just more everyday, still reputation is still a factor, agnostic of the nature of the decision. I do feel like as a society, we have shifted power from corporates, corporate brands, and the power shifting to consumers, or I should say people, quite frankly. How has that impacted reputation? Well, it makes it a 24-7 full contact sport. Yeah. Why? Because we're all one negative tweet away from a potential crisis. True. And I'm not going to blame ex-president Donald Trump, yeah. but let me tell you, he was a, an accelerator of that expression of negative sentiment. And suddenly companies and brands were on high alert. When you're publicly cited and negatively criticized by the president of your country in a public tweet, okay. that impacts Wall Street, that impacts the morale of employees, that impacts your customers and the decisions they make, at least half of them if not all of them. So digital disruption and the uh, proliferation of media technology has elevated the need to manage your reputation and create a sense of urgency in not just measuring it every once in a while, which is what companies used to do, but actually measuring it every second, every day, every week, every month, every year. Really? Because it's part it of the rhythm. so quickly. Absolutely. It's part of the rhythm of how any company operates. Now, it's not easy to do all those kind of things. Sure. And sometimes companies would decide to roll up their data and look at it in greater aggregate so they can better understand trends. And that's probably a smart way to do it. But I think beyond the premise of digital disruption and the, and the role of technology, 
I just think that uh, companies have realized there's an expectation for them to fulfill the role that governments used to fulfill in society. In other words, there's an expectation of them to take care of the people and the people they serve, which means if you're an oil and gas company, wherever you start drilling for oil, you've got to consider the people in those neighborhoods and those communities and make sure they're taken care of and their lives aren't polluted and disrupted. So it just, I guess, just maybe due to macroeconomic forces, digital disruption, but also just the changing expectations of society. We want companies to behave well, to do the right thing. It's okay for them to make a profit, but if they do, they have a responsibility to somehow give back to society and do their part to make sure people can thrive and live a sustainable lifestyle. And do you think most consumers think that way? They may not openly admit it, but certainly, you know, there are people out there who, for whatever reason, would associate with bad brands. You know, they like to be yeah. bad boys and do crazy things. And I can't speak for those people, but I think that's the minority. I think right. most people just in general would like to feel that whatever brand they buy, whatever company they associate with, they're doing their part to make the world a better place to live. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, at least based on the data, that's a pretty pervasive feeling right across the world, whether you're in a low-income developing market or a more advanced, more sophisticated capitalistic infrastructure or a democracy or an autocracy, it doesn't matter. You look at companies and you expect them to do the right thing. And that today, I think, is a reality check for, for most organizations. Yeah, I think it's a rallying cry, right, as a, as a humanity. Like, are we doing the right thing to make the world a better place? Yeah, we certainly believe that doing business in the right way would yield a better world. It yields a better world for you as a company because you become more fiscally responsible, more profitable, but equally you become more purposeful in how you operate. Right. Uh, you become more committed to taking care of people in the planet. And when those two things coexist, your company's exponentially better off. It's not okay to be profitable and not do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not really smart to do the right thing and not be profitable. You kind of want to balance both profit and purpose. And if you can yeah. do that, that yields a constitutes a strong reputation. Do you see differences in generations as it relates to what you just talked about in terms of corporations balancing profit and also doing good in the world? Absolutely. You know, we would certainly see Gen Z and millennials over index yeah. in their belief in balancing purpose with profits. We would find older cohorts, uh, maybe seniors and boomers, maybe even to some degree Gen X probably think it's a tad more acceptable to just make a good profit and not always do the right thing. Right. But I think generally speaking, it's just not something that um, is isolated to a few people. I just believe it, at least again, going back to the data that we have, people just have that view. I mean, my expectation of you, no matter who you are, no matter what you stand for, is to do right. And if you do right, I'll support you. If you don't, I'm going to think twice. Fair enough. And because everybody has a platform to communicate, it does speak to how quickly it can shift as well in terms of people's perceptions or understanding reputation of different brands. Absolutely. You know, we've seen concepts like employee activism, which we hadn't seen before. Maybe right. you remember back a few years when there was a revolt at Wayfair and you know certain situations happened and the employees rebelled and leadership took a position on fixing some of the internal challenges and that was driven by employee activism. Mm -hmm. We see CEO activism. We see CEOs of major corporations leading the charge and pushing back on government on what they believe to be the right or wrong thing. A few years ago, back under the Trump administration, there were challenges regarding immigration rights. 
while the CEO of Google came out and said, we believe in equal opportunity employment. No one should be prejudiced based on their country of origin or the ethnic uh, nature of who they are. Everyone deserves a fair shake and, and push back on, on government. So these are concepts that perhaps didn't exist before this whole deeper understanding of reputation and this whole expectation of just trying to be a good corporate citizen, whether you're a big or a small company, we just believe you should do business in a certain way. And I think those things just become more and more pervasive as, as time has uh, gone on. Stephen, what do you think about the future? Like, how do you see reputation evolving, shifting, changing? Where do you see it going in well, terms of reputation whole, management? Yeah, yeah. We could have a whole conversation about chat GBT. But okay. not, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But joking aside, artificial intelligence plays a critical role in the future of reputation measurement and management. I think the industry has got down the rearview mirror historical perspective of how reputation has changed over time. And I think increasingly there's been a lot of work in linking the real-time impacts of reputation and tying it back to media sentiment. So things like uh, natural language processing, machine learning have helped us understand the impact of earned media impressions and the kind of pervasive narrative of your company and how it can materially link back to reputation. The next frontier is foresight. It's looking ahead, it's looking at predictive analytics, it's looking at AI, not just projecting reputation and business outcomes, but creating causation between what you do and say and the direct impact it has on changing the marketplace dynamics. So in that regard, your reputation is a framework that's a means to the ends of linking the actions you take to the business outcomes. So stay tuned. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of news and new developments in the area of AI Yes. And the focus on business outcomes and the role that reputation can play in that regard. Very powerful. You can mitigate a, a lot of risk that way. Yeah. And obviously with that foresight, hopefully you can make better decisions, not based on what happened yesterday or today, but based upon what six months around the corner and maybe begin to anticipate issues potentially even before they arise. That would be actually really amazing to be able to do that, right? Where you can actually plan in the future, for the future and predict what the outcomes are. It would. Maybe we should start hiring a few clairvoyants. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> joking aside, mathematics can be a great predictor of success. So we'd, we'd rather focus on the science than the yeah. hopeless practice. Very nice. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed our conversation. My pleasure. Great to be part of your session today. So thank you very much. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.